All right, appreciate it, Coop. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Hey, did you hear the new 2022 campaign slogan for Congress? Here it is. Vote for me, and I promise to do nothing. It's not a cynical thing. It's not a joke. And it's not some backroom promise. It is the ugly and the obvious of our reality. Here it is. Honestly, right now, for the next 18 months, mm-hmm. our job is to do everything we can to slow all of that down to get to December of 2022. 18 more months of chaos Confusion. and the inability to get stuff done. <laughs> yeah. That's what we want. Now, the key is, why is 18 months of chaos and getting nothing done what a Republican, or really a Trumper, would want? Opposition is a position of strength against a perceived malicious force. You see, and that's the part you need to know. Too many on the left leave that out, okay? They'll just be like, listen how stupid this guy is. He's saying all he wants to do is... Why? Because that's the part that'll beat you. The left is the enemy and the key to the white fright campaign. The BLM marauders are coming along with the bad hombres. They are the muscle for the Democrats and the media are their agents pushing everything is okay. The more radical, the more reasonable. Only we can save you. Only we. Sound familiar? Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. I alone. We alone. Chip Roy is a chip off the old block. He was asked about this just to make sure that he wasn't taken out of context. He says, I don't apologize one bit for pushing back, here it is, against the leftist mob. Mob, see, because January 6th can't be about them. It's got to be a mob on the other side too. That's the key. The leftist mob that seeks to destroy America from within. This from the man that doesn't believe January 6th was a big idea was no big deal, no big idea there. It's just what it was. I am proud of this country, not embarrassed by it, and I will obstruct the agenda of those that are with everything I've got. You see, it is a holy war. It's a holy war. That's what this is for them, and it's working. And the question is, what do the Democrats do in response? Proud, can you attack it? Easy, let's do it now quickly. Proud of the country, yet you want it to remain for 18 months in chaos. You will allow its capital be attacked without recourse, but you're proud of it. You will deprive money to people who need it to survive. You will deprive them of fixes to their health care, but you care about your country. You see, the argument is easy. It's about how you make it and where you make it. And that's who will, that's what will decide who comes out on top in the midterms. Now, yes, it sounds like Chip Roy is more cut out for a role in a militia than a Congress, but he is just an echo of an alarm that was sounded long ago by McConnell. Listen to McConnell. Our top political priority over the next two years should be to deny President Obama a second term. 100% of my focus is on stopping this new administration. Now, good news is you can isolate what it is. 
In fact, you can now say it is what it is. The problem is, do you have a counter? Because there is no shame in their game. They don't need to be about something virtuous or pretend to be about something virtuous for their side. It's more of a purity test. Are you really all in? McConnell opposed the latest COVID relief bill, right? Remember, he said, I won't do it. I won't do it. But then what? It's too costly. Now, in Kentucky, he is telling people about the benefits of all the money that's coming to them. Listen. Not a single member of my party voted for it. So you're going to get a lot more money. I didn't vote for it. But uh, you're going to get a lot more money. If you add up the total amount that will come into our state, $4 billion, that's twice what we sent in last year. Now, I hear too many on the left missing this for what it is. In fact, President Biden missed it. Listen to his take. Mitch McConnell loves our programs. You see what Mitch McConnell said? He told me he wasn't going to get a single vote in order to allow me to get, with the help of everybody here, look it up, man. He's bragging about it, Kentucky. It's a great thing for Kentucky. It's getting $4 billion to help poor. That's amazing. It's not the right read. McConnell's not saying he loves the policy. He's saying it's bad policy, but he knows how to have it both ways. He's saying, look at all this money that's going to come in. You're going to get it. So they know it as a matter of fact, and they will attach it to him telling them that. There will be currency for him in that. But he gets to check that box of opposition. Not me. I didn't vote for it. It's still coming here anyway. Somehow it's like he delivered without delivering or he delivered twice. Either way, it's working for him. So Biden is aware, right? He called it out, played to the irony. But does he or do he and the Democrats have an answer that will help them win in the midterms? Because the Democrats, to my eye, seem more intent on giving the party of Trump more chances than to secure another chance for themselves to continue to lead. The proof of the suggestion. Why allow a Trumper like McCarthy to add five seats to the House Select Committee on January 6th? Bipartisanship. You already tried. You know that McCarthy and the others have willful blindness because they only have eyes for what benefits Trump. You gave them everything they asked for to make it bipartisan. McCarthy and the others balked because January 6th is bad for business. Now you're going to give them five more seats. So they will be able to bash anything that is developed within the commission. So they're going to be able to be there while saying it's illegitimate. And you expect something to good to the good to come out of this? How can it be to the good? Let's bring in the better mind of Michael Smirkanish. Smirk, what am I missing? Let's start with this. Let's go backwards from where I was in the open. Allowing McCarthy to have five seats. After they said, we're not doing this bipartisan, this is a joke, you won't look at the real riots, you only want to look at January 6th. Now, who do you imagine he'll put on it, and what will be the net effect? I think he'll put Trump loyalists on it. I don't know how, from a political standpoint, he can't. But let me wind the clock back a little Mm -hmm. bit further, because there's a lot to unpack from what you just offered. Think about this, Chris. 2020, the presidential election, was the first time since 1865 that the Republican Party didn't put forth a party platform. 
How come? I think you have put your finger on it because it's much easier to unite in opposition to things than to be advocates. You don't have to pass anything. You don't have to get anything done. You just need to state your case as to what you oppose. You oppose critical race theory, whatever that might be. You oppose Obamacare, even though you don't have a replacement for it. And it's a bad strategy for the country, but it's a pretty good political strategy, as scary as that might sound. Do the Democrats, you think, have a grip on what they're against? And do you think they have a counter? that will help them in the midterms? I think they're between a rock and a hard place because the only thing they can really get done with the control that they have of the House and the 50-50 deadlock plus the vice president in the Senate is through reconciliation. Because of the presence of the filibuster, it really means that the president, in large measure, is going to go into the midterm election without being able to lay claim to legislative accomplishment for all the things that he promised. So unless you're prepared to redo the numbers on the filibuster, no, their hands are tied. And I think that's what Mitch McConnell, I think that's what Kevin McCarthy understand and recognize, that they can continue to be successful by just standing in opposition. One other, one other point, if I might, think about some of the strange bedfellows that now emerge on the Republican side of the aisle, the one percenters and the white working class. What unites them? Not what they're for, but what they're against. It's not a bad strategy, but bad for the country. 80% in the May Q poll, uh, 80% of Republicans say their party is acting in the interest of democracy. 90% of them say Democrats are not. You think you would get reciprocal ratings like that in the Democratic Party about feelings about their own? No, they're all getting their news and information from the same source, right? I mean, you know, here, because we think it's a public service, we run the footage of what transpired on January 6th. If you were to go somewhere else tonight, you're not going to see it. And frankly, you haven't seen it. I think that people are oblivious to what's transpired as large as the stakes may be. It's part of the problem of being siloed in and not getting news and information that is a balance. So going into the midterms, I mean, don't you have to believe, look, we know historically that uh, the sitting president doesn't do great for his party in midterms. Do you think this will be that more off, more so than usual? Or do you think the Democrats can make some kind of progress? I think that Republicans have more difficult seats to defend in the Senate. I think there's a, a possibility that there's actually a Democratic gain in the Senate. But in the House, history tells a pretty consistent story that the Democratic Party, because they control the White House, will, will be in trouble. I'll tell you what I don't expect to change, because I'm, I'm paying attention to the former president's rallies. He's not out there, as, and he's the titular head of the party, right, until proven otherwise. He's not out there advocating anything other than his opposition to the status quo. Mm-hmm. And frankly, that's the way that he ran the 2020 campaign. You think about it, Chris, he would go on that other network and he would be encouraged to articulate an agenda for a second term. Never did it. Never. Never took that bait, I guess, because it's easier to just say what you're opposed to. Well, why? What do most people agree with about government and politics? Mike, you hear it all the time on your radio show and on your TV show here. That we hate it, that it stinks. 
that they're all bums, that they all lie, that they all cheat, that they don't care about me and that everything's getting crazy. And they're all about what's weird and no longer about what is American. It's all you need. The question is, is it just that they claimed the high ground before the Democrats could get it and get into the anger game? Or do the Democrats just not know how to fight to win the way the Republicans do? Well, I guess the Democrats have to decide, you know, whether they want half a loaf rather than going for the full loaf. I mean, is, is Joe Manchin, are Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema actually a good prism, a good barometer into what's going on with white working class voters that the Democrats need? Maybe they ought to be more welcoming of whatever can pass their muster in, instead of trying to appease the most progressive elements in the party. Mm. I really think that at the end of the day, and look, it's not that it's complicated. You know, Mike and I talk about this all the time. It's not that it's complicated. It's about whether or not you know how to make it happen. The obvious pitch uh, to the white working class is almost the exact same thing as to the black or brown or any ethnic group uh, or race working class. They want and need the same things. And if you were to make that pitch that you're for them and these guys are just stopping it from happening... That would probably be very compelling. The question is, how do you pitch the message? How do you get through the noise of them having been just washed and bathed in every kind of fear and animus uh, for so many years now? And that's the challenge. But that's the group, Mike. The group is not just college-educated, white, suburban people. It's working-class people. Whoever wins them, wins. Appreciate you being here. We'll have a lot to talk about. Last word to you, brother. I saw something coming through of that mall. What did you have? Okay. okay. (laughs) I want to say this. I I don't know when I became sort of the elder cocker, but I have to say, what happened to the days that you would go into a midterm election and you would have to explain what you accomplished, what you actually passed instead of what you opposed? Mm -hmm. We need to get back to those days. You're an elder cocker, but you're also an alta cocker. You're higher, not just older. Thank you, brother. All right. As for the leader of the Trump party, is this fact or fiction? A new book claims Donald Trump once told his former chief of staff, John Kelly, that, quote, Hitler did a lot of good things. It was allegedly said on a 2018 trip to Paris to commemorate the World War I armistice. The book is by a reporter at the Wall Street Journal. That's a Murdoch paper. Trump's camp denies the quote. John Kelly hasn't denied the quote. Judge for yourself. Ahead, the Trump-loving QAnon kook is at it again. Oh, I went to the Holocaust Museum. I'm so sorry. Five minutes. Nazi-era comparisons once again. Why? Because they work. Because she wants the effect of, you know, cheapening and using it because it works. We'll lay it out for you next. Here's a helpful suggestion. Well, can we just please stop trying to make a conspiracy kook look competent, okay? Why did you all cover and pay attention to her going to a Holocaust museum? What what do you think she's about? Of course, the Trumper from QAnon went back to Nazi references about Democrats. This is what she is about. The tweet calling plans to reach the unvaccinated, quote, medical brown shirts. 
Of course she was going to go back to it. I know it was just a few weeks since her trip to the Holocaust Memorial Museum. She came out and she was like this. Take a look. The Holocaust is, there's nothing comparable to it. There is no comparison to the Holocaust. She's full of it. You know, stop covering her like she should be taken seriously. She doesn't care. She's an extremist. She seeks to divide. She is not about who gets hurt or history or being rational. Here is the truth. Because of people like her, we are the only country in the developed world that purposely slept on the pandemic and did so for political reasons. Think about it. We literally made ourselves sick. If you care about the country, you have to care about what helps and hurts. Look, Green, she's a kook, but she's not alone. We reached out to her fellow vaccine deniers on the right. Massey, Cruz, Paul, Johnson. I offer them this show as a platform to have your case that the vaccine isn't necessary tested. They won't answer. They only want a pat on the back because they know they are BS. But we can't let it go because you have to keep exposing it. The game that they're playing is killing us. It's as clear as the numbers that Harry Enten, the Wizard of Odds, has for you right now. It's good to have you, young sir. Hospitalizations. Let's start with that as a very important metric. Sick, sick enough that you have symptoms, sick enough with with symptoms that you have to go to the hospital. All right. What do we see? about where we're seeing them. Yeah, I mean, look, we know that the blue states, the states that Joe Biden won in 2020 have higher vaccination rates than the Trump won states. And what do you see right now over the last 30 days and change, right? We see currently that the Biden states have fewer hospitalizations than the Trump states, but it's not just that they have fewer, it's that the rate of hospitalizations is dropping. Look at that decline in the Biden states, 32% drop versus just a 4% drop in the Trump states. This to me is a sign that the vaccines are really working given that the Biden states are so much further along in the vaccination process than the Trump states. And hospitalizations is a key metric because you really hurt yourself if you ended up in the hospital. And more than that, hospitalizations are often a leading indicator of deaths. So let's see where we are in a few weeks. This type of graphic really troubles me because we know the vaccinations work. We know they're out there and it's easy at this point to get one. Yet there are a ton of people for whatever reason, simply put, are not getting one. Right. Well, we're going to get to it in a second because it's not just for whatever reason. Uh, It's that they have a very particular reason, which is based out of a political animus and misinformation or disinformation. And it's putting us literally in a position of being sick. The percentage of June deaths. Let's take a look at where they're coming from. Yeah, look, it's clear as day. It's on your screen right now, folks. Look at that. The share of covid deaths. Unvaccinated folks make up more than 99 percent of the coronavirus deaths in this country in the month of June. Less than one percent were among the vaccinated. You rarely ever see anything like this. This is the one of the biggest signs that these vaccines work. If people would just go out and get vaccinated, we could avoid so many of these deaths. Fortunately, deaths are lower than they were, say, in January, but they could be even lower. Every single death that we now have because of the coronavirus in this country, pretty much every single one was avoidable. Yet, as I just keep hammering in on, some people, for reasons, as you're going to point out later on, have not gotten the vaccine. And honestly, it's quite upsetting to me because no one wants to see anyone die from this. And look, you know, before we get to the last slide, uh, we know that by party, 
the people who say that they have gotten a shot or they will get a shot in the Democratic Party is up over 80 percent and in the Republican Party is somewhere between 45, uh, close to 48. What other explanation is there other than politics? I, I, I mean, look, you pointed out right there. You know, if you look at all the states that reached Biden, 70 percent adults vaccinated go by July 4th. They were all blue states. 20 of them did. None of the Trump states did. Politics is playing such a key factor in this. Another factor that's linked to that, I should point out, is trust. Trust in the government and trust in what the government is telling you. And there's been so many seeds sown to not trust what the government is telling you, not trust what. But even that one doesn't make sense. Uh, You're right. But in context, Trump came up with the vaccine as far as the Trumpers are concerned. So why wouldn't you go get it? It's, it's, Um, you know, look at Tennessee, by the way. Show them that slide just to make the proof of the pathetic here. Because, look, you know, I I was told the other day on the radio, somebody was saying, you know, well, shouldn't the Democrats want Republicans to not get vaccinated? I was like, what the hell are you talking about here? This is is politics. We're all Americans. This is not about wanting people to get sick. But, you know, you you have to look at this for what it is. People who aren't getting vaccinated, they're going to get sick. This is very scary. And we see it in Tennessee. Look, I study politics, right? It's what I studied in school. It's what I've made my professional career long. But we are all Americans. We should all want everyone to go out there and get their vaccinations, right? You see in a state like Tennessee, right? You can look at the national picture. You can go into individual states, right? Like Tennessee, just 2% of the vaccinated, they make up the share of the coronavirus deaths from May 13th to June 24th. You go to a state like Maryland, it's 100% of the deaths in June were among the unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. We see this on the individual state level. And this is what, again, it's just so upsetting to me. It, it boggles my mind. You know, I feel like Mrs. White and Clue, you know, with the fiery things going up my skull, because the fact of the matter is you can go out and get a vaccine right now. Go to your CVS, go to your Walgreens, go wherever your drugstore that has a coronavirus vaccine. If there's anyone out there, go and get one. It's easy. They're safe. They work. The numbers show they work. There is simply no logical reason for most Americans at this point not to get a coronavirus vaccine. And I'll tell you what, vaccine. though, and I'll tell you what, I've heard two things. And one is shame on Trump and the right. And the other is shame on the Biden administration. One thing is I literally had somebody I actually gave him a piece of my ice cream sandwich. <laughs> and it's the best ice cream sandwich I've ever had from this place out in Greenport on Long Island. And he says, let me ask you just off the record. Have you heard that in these vaccines, there may be something that can track us? Now, this guy had a nice boat. He had a nice family with him. You know, this was a a guy of means. He had done well with his life. And he was asking me an honest question. Is there a tracking device in the vaccine? Now, the answer is not just no. It's where did you get that craziness? Now, here's the part I don't like. And every time I get asked this, I say the same thing, Harry. And it's important for the audience to know you already know it. When people say to me, Hey, can states mandate it? No, they, they shouldn't. Why? Can I take something when it's not approved yet? Yeah, it's approved for emergency youth, use authorization. But why hasn't it been approved by the FDA? This is a mistake and it is on Biden's watch. I know it takes time, but talk to people about it because it is growing as a concern. Why isn't it approved for ordinary use if it's as safe as all the data says it is? And don't hang me up in process. Make the case to the people it's making us sick. It's part of the problem. Harry Enton, you're part of the solution. Pure information and insight. Love you. Thank you, brother. All right. Now, you hear what happened in Haiti? 
The prime minister shot, assassinated, his wife shot, uh, struggling for her life. This is a country obviously not far from ours, but the upheaval always affects us here at home. Who did it? But what is going to happen now? The dynamic there is obviously fragile, but is really important for us. The United States will have to get involved if it gets bad, and it may. Who says? Former CIA counterterror official to go through the variables. Next. Breaking news, Reuters reporting at least two suspected attackers behind the assassination of the Haitian president have been arrested. Other suspects in the attack, we don't know how many, have reportedly been killed. This information comes from Haiti's police chief. And we have audio of the purported attackers posted to social media. It's too dark to see, but you can hear someone yelling that this is a DEA operation. CNN cannot independently authenticate this footage. There has been no claim of ownership from anywhere in the United States government. Listen. Also new, we have video believed to be from outside the leader's home showing a security convoy right after the murder. CNN has also not confirmed this video. The Haitian ambassador says the suspects spoke Spanish and English with American accents. The State Department says the assassins supposed DEA claims are absolutely false. Should the U.S. be stepping in now to prevent further turmoil or will they be forced to do so in the not so distant future? One of the top minds here to discuss, Phil Mudd. First, DEA, any chance? No way, not a chance. I think the easy explanation for this is that somebody apparently pretty well trained. You got to think through this, Chris, if you're going to do this with the sophistication we just saw. Somebody pretty well trained said, how do I get the perimeter security around the president for at least 10 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute to think that this is a DEA investigation or raid so that they stand down? Pretty good if you're going into that facility, Chris. This is a serious group. What do you think of reports from the Haitian police that they killed some of the suspects and that they detained two? I, if I had to bet it in Vegas, I'd bet that at least a piece of this is true. I mean, the first information in any instance like this has some element of untruth, but I can't believe they'd be out on the airwaves saying we've resolved a piece of this and have to say tomorrow morning they're wrong. I will tell you, though, that there's a risk to this. Obviously, from the criminal investigation side, it's great to wrap up the crew. What I'd be worried about, Chris, in a country that's had a lot of instability is instantly that crew by tomorrow, let's say, will it be identified with a rival family? a rival gang, a rival political group, and people on the streets will say, we want revenge. It's great to start to wrap this up as long as it doesn't blow out into revenge, Chris. Moise, uh, the president, was not that popular. Uh, he was yeah. also seen as authoritarian. Uh, he would say, he, he, you know, 
he's gone now, but he would say, no, I just want us to have our independence. Uh, what was the likely uh, kind of list of who would have come after him? Let me put two things together. One, obviously, is a political list of people who would say he's overstayed his constitutional right to be there. A lot of people, including the United States, don't support that view, but oppositionists in Haiti do. That's a simple political explanation, Chris, but let me overlay a piece. People who make money off being in power. Some of those people were sidelined by Moise. I can easily see a scenario where people who were losing money because they were sidelined politically said, this guy needs to know. Think politics won and add money to that, Chris, and you got a really nasty situation. What's the chance it gets nastier? Boy, if you look at the history of Haiti, not a lot of history of assassination, but history of instability, you add to that that the security forces have lost control in the past. The country still hasn't recovered from an earthquake. If you want to say three, four days from now, a week from now, the situation will be better than it is today, I would never bet on that scenario. Mm, Then get ready to travel. Phil Mudd, thank you very much. New new developments in the Britney uh, Spears saga. Her mom has now stepped into the fray. What side is she on? Lynn Spears made a request to the court today. Next. Britney Spears has a new petitioner on her behalf. It's her mother, Lynn Spears. In a newly obtained court filing from July 1st, a week after Britney Spears pleaded with a judge to end her 13-year conservatorship, her mother submitted this petition. Now and for the past many years, conservatee, that would be Brittany, is able to care for her person and in fact has, within the parameters of this conservatorship, earned literally hundreds of millions of dollars as an international celebrity. The petition, however, did not ask for the conservatorship to end, only that Brittany be allowed to choose her own attorney. Interesting. What weight does the petition have? What does it tell us? Britney Spears' former attorney, Adam Streisand, joins me now. Just the specific request. Uh, Put up the graphic. Petitioner believes that a guardian ad litem is the only way to honor uh, Britney Spears' wish to select counsel without a medical evaluation and protect her interests. Here's my question. A guardian ad litem, uh, as uh, Counselor Streisand well knows, is um, a specific purpose guardian appointed by a court or judge specifically uh, to help in a situation when someone cannot help themselves. A ward, usually an infant. Again, not really the fit for a situation that by Lynn Spears' own reckoning, she can take care of herself. This doesn't make sense either. Chris, thanks for having me. I agree with you completely that it doesn't make sense because a guardian ad litem is simply another in the long list of people who are going to be appointed by the court. Um, And, and, you know, that is inconsistent with what we really want to see, which is Brittany making her own free choice. And and so how can we trust that the person, another person appointed by the court is the right person to help her make that choice? The real problem is that good choices are the product of good information. And Brittany has been cloistered from the outside world. She doesn't have access uh, to good information. Uh, I believe the conservators have abused their authority in in preventing her from being able to have access to the outside world. And how is she supposed to make that decision uh, for herself 
and to make an intelligent choice. I know she's capable of making an intelligent choice. She was capable of making that choice back in 2008. Uh, in the worst of times, we were able to agree on a, on a strategy. But look, we both know uh, all she has to do is, if, is the, the problem here is that she's not allowed to make choices. You know, she could just call up CAA, you know, and get the agency to go and find a lawyer to do this. It would be fine. It would just be rejected because right now she's not allowed to make the choice. What I don't get is the missing piece here is why isn't the judge saying, what seems to be common sense, which is, hey, so I have this one report from this one doctor who's a big shot who says that at this time, which is not now, uh, she was not basically compass mentis. She wasn't able to kind of run her own affairs. Obviously, things have changed. I want new doctors. I want new assessments right now. Why isn't that happening? Isn't that the key? Well, one problem is one problem is that nobody has asked for that. Nobody has filed a petition to terminate the conservatorship. Nobody has asked for for an evaluation. And remember, Brittany herself said she doesn't want to be evaluated. Now, I take that with a grain of salt because I think the problem is that Brittany hasn't had any space of trust and confidence with anyone around her. Mm -hmm. And I think if she had the right representation, she'd be able to have that trust, find the right person who would be uh, able to evaluate her and bring evidence forward to the court that this conservatorship needs to end. But the fiduciary duty of the judge, uh, they could do it on their own accord. It doesn't have to be a petition. They, they, could, they could do it themselves. Uh, that is, you know, their best interest analysis that they're in charge of. They, they could do it as well. But once again, as always, Counselor Streisand, thank you for helping us understand this moment. We'll stay on it. Pleasure. All right, ahead. A big update on the U.S. sprinter suspended ahead of the Olympic Games over pot, which I don't understand how that can be considered a performance-enhancing drug. Shakari Richardson is not going to Tokyo, one of our fastest. Is this a right call? Reaction from a former Team USA gold medalist. Remember this superstar? Of course you do. Dominique Dawes. She's here, and she's ready to give us her take. Next. Well, it's official. Our fastest woman, Shakari Richardson, is not going to be competing in the Tokyo Olympics. Not because she took steroids, not because it turns out she's not as fast as she's supposed to be because she took something to make her faster. She lost her chance to run the signature event, the 100 meter, for failing a weed test last week. There was some hope she could still be added to the relay team, but U.S. track officials decided against it. In a statement, USA Track and Field stands by Richardson and calls for the rules on marijuana use to be re-evaluated. But it also defends its decision. Our credibility as the national governing body would be lost if rules were only enforced under certain circumstances. Rules are rules, but not all rules are equal. And rules can be changed and they can be understood differently. Separate but equal was a rule, right? And then it was changed and it was seen as being wrong long before it changed. So let's get some perspective from a really minted Olympic champion. Okay, three time gold medal winning Dominique Dawes. Welcome to primetime. First, thank you. Thank you for the thrills, the chills and no spills. And given my little daughter dreams of wanting to be a gymnast and she is still pursuing it today because of you and that team. So thank you for the gift you gave us uh, as Americans. Now, let's talk about the policy at hand. What do you make of the decision? Well, you know, I really 
do respect um, Shahari Richardson for coming out and admitting her fault and really saying that she's human, that she made a mistake. I think one thing to point out is really the decency of reporting today. That reporter, you know, was that individual aware that she knew about the death of her mother. I, when I read about it and heard more about this story, that's just heartbreaking to think that someone would have asked her that, uh, possibly knowing that she was unaware of her mother's passing. I'm not saying it's okay how she responded to it uh, with regards to, you know, breaking some rules. But I think that's something that is overlooked with regards to decency and reporting today. These these athletes are human and you got to recognize that um, they are going to be affected greatly uh, by the questions that you ask. And it really brings light to um, mental issues and not just something that someone is possibly born with, but when they're going through a tragedy in their life and how they respond to it. And that's something that we should address. The rebuttal is rules are rules, but isn't it all rules? What, what were you worried about? That somebody would be taking something that would make them more flexible, stronger, able to train harder, able to recover faster. You know, that would make it unfair. This is weed. It doesn't do any of those things. It's not even a performance enhancing drug. That's not me talking. It's a 2018 paper co-authored by WADA's medical director that found no evidence that marijuana is a performance enhancer. Well, Chris, like you said, rules are rules. And you're speaking to an Olympic gymnast, and we are very particular, and we are rule followers for most cases. And my last Olympic Games, there were rules out there with regards to the age that an athlete had to be. However, Chinese gymnasts were underage, and that truly affected myself and my teammates from getting on the podium and getting a bronze medal during the 2000 Olympic Games. So I'm a rule follower. Also, Andrea Radican, who is from Romania, she won the all round at the 2000 Olympics. She had found, there was found to be substance in her system as well. And then she was disqualified and lost out on that Olympic gold medal in the all around. So for me, I do think, you know, because it is a current rule, they need to follow the rule. And unfortunately that does mean uh, that Richardson will not be competing in these Olympic games. Should it change? I don't know. I'm not one to make that decision. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is, is thinking about the decency of that reporter. That's what came to mind when I read this article and I looked up and did some research. You know, did you know that that young girl was aware or was not aware of the death of her mother? You have to be considerate of someone else's um, emotional state and decency for them. A level of decorum should be, um, you know, should be played out when it comes to reporting. That's what I, that's what my gut really leans towards. Why, if it's, but isn't that in conflict with rules or rules? Because, you know, why, why should I feel one way or another about you when I'm finding out what you put in your body that may or may not be legal? No, I think it was the question with regards to what, what triggered this and it was her being told that her mother had passed away. Mm -hmm. You know, that's gonna affect someone's emotional state tremendously, tremendously. This is very similar to even like Naomi Osaka when she um, had a tough time in a match and decided that she was not going to partake in an interview and then was fined $15,000 and even was going to be further penalized and possibly disqualified from that competition. You have to think about these yes. athletes humans and to recognize that they will be affected emotionally. I think this is going to be a watershed moment because this kid, you know, we're all, they're all adults, but you know, she's young by my standards. Um, she did something that had nothing to do with making her faster. It was just yeah. about her dealing with pain. And I don't know how it changes the rules, but Dominique Dawes, you are a champion and I appreciate you tonight. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. The handoff next. 
All right, thank you very much for giving us the opportunity tonight. Remember, see the game that is at play in politics. That's the key. Don Lemon tonight with the upgrade as D. Lemon tries to see if he can eat his weight in tacos. You get Laura Coates. <laughs> I thought it was nachos. Now it's tacos. That was last night. I thought it was Tuesday it was taco night. Now it, Wednesday. All right, well. He may have no discipline, but he loves diversity in his diet. Nachos, the tacos, so tomorrow, what are we doing? So Burritos, let me, figure so, it out. I don't know, I'll ask him, uh, assuming he's sober enough to answer. Let me ask you this. Um, let's take up the case. Uh, Coates versus Cuomo, which side do you want on uh, Shikari Richardson, pro or con, the ruling? Mm, I'm always on Coates' side. That's the right side. All right, you take uh, pro, because that's the uh, right way to be on this, because rules are rules. Here's my pushback on it. Not all rules are the same. Weed is not a performance-enhancing drug. She did nothing to help herself gain any advantage. If anything, you could argue it would be a disadvantage for her. She did a time during mental duress, and it serves no purpose as a policy to enforce this. And the United States should be doing a lot more to resist, not to enable. Well, you know, I got to tell you, it's hard to be fully pro or con on this side, right? Because although the rules are the rules, we do have a patchwork of rules when it comes to weed in this country, right? Even Justice Thomas has spoken about this issue, having some uniformity on the issue. I can see the argument that says, look, in order to be an elite athlete, in order to be a part of the Olympics, you have to have the discipline to abide by the rules. We want that to be the case. But again, it's hard for people to understand that this is not somehow the United States of America selectively enforcing certain rules when it's convenient to do so, especially when, frankly, the world stage does know the United States is not always consistent about its rule abiding, is it? Right. And look, Dominic Dawes was just on. Um, Mm -hmm. Being underage is an advantage in gymnastics. Why? They peak early. There's so much wear and tear on the body. Uh, There's an advantage. Uh, Taking substances that allow you to heal and give you a different level of laxity in your connective tissue. That gives you an advantage. You get caught, you should lose. This is not one of those things. Um, Well, you know, as the president said about it, maybe it's time to look into changing the rules to actually reflect that. But if they're gonna do it for that, then I suspect the federal government has got to do it when it comes to what schedule they put marijuana on as well, in contrast to what states do. So it's an ongoing conversation. I kind of went between pro and con, but I see both sides of an issue when you're talking about rules that are applied differently state by state. Thank yeah, you. I feel like I lost twice in that conversation. I don't. It's, I, funny, it's funny how that happens, isn't it? <laughs> Only with you. Laura Coates, you are the upgrade. <laughs> and it's always a pleasure. I look forward to watching the show. Thank you. And I'm jealous you got to talk to Dominique Dawes. I was a huge fan right? of hers and never a gymnast. So fine, whatever. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.